0: Hey, welcome to episode two of the Seth Says Podcast. I don't know if y'all knew this about me, but I got kind of a different brain. I got a brain that fixates on things and won't let things go until I either think them through or if I'm working on something, um, I get tunnel vision. You know, it seems like a lot of people came with uh, brain A, you know, Uh It can shut things down, pick new things up. But I got like an alternate brain, brain B, you know. And uh, yeah, it's like an octopus. It'll cling to something and just suck the life out of it until, you know, if it's something I'm learning about until I absorbed all the information and then that thing is like a dead husk and an octopus lets it go and then swims off and attaches itself to something else or if I'm working through a problem, it's kind of the same way. You know, so I got that cerebral octopus. And I figure that's that's probably the best way for me to express myself to y'all and be the most entertaining and you know possibly informative. I you know, I'll just I'll just talk about what I'm fixated on. And today it well this whole weekend. It was PTSD weekend. I'm not trying to get heavy on anybody, but I got a lot of friends that are combat veterans. And I got a lot of friends in law enforcement. People that grew up in a third world country. um, and, And people right here at home. Regular civilians that have really suffered. And continue to carry those wounds. And sometimes I feel like Michael Clark Duncan in the overalls from the Green Mile. Just... Sucking up the darkness, you know I mean I don't know what to do I, I really don't know what to do. I know what not to do. I know I'm not going to try to one up them on their experience or you know act like I can relate if I can't. I mean, the best thing I can do, I guess is is listen, and it was just a lot this weekend and 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 Monday. it was just a lot, well a lot of people. Confided in me and and told me a lot of things, and I get way into it. Like I said, that octopus man, he won't let go. And I've been thinking about it, thinking about it. I don't want y'all to top stop telling me stuff. That's not what I'm saying. I care and I love you, so I want you to tell me things. And if I can offer a nuts and bolts solution to the problem, I'll get I'll take a crack at it. And if I can't. I'm more than happy to just let you verbally think it through with me. You know, I'm, uh, I'm here to listen for sure. I don't want you to stop telling me stuff. It was a lot of people this weekend made me a little tired, um, which I'm happy. I'm happy so many people think that I am someone that they can, can confide in, you know, for a lot of crazy stuff combat veteran friends, one of them told me he had to take a shot at a high-value target and the guy was playing soccer with his kid and it was time to take the shot, and those are orders. That's non-negotiable. It's not like you can say, oh, I had a moment of clarity, my humanity got to me, so I'm just going to pack it up, send another guy out. It doesn't work like that. He said... He also said... He knew, as soon as he pulled that trigger, it was going to radicalize that kid. And now that kid, the hate for us, being America, that he has in his heart is going to infect him and spread to him like it did his father. So he said after he took the shot, he pondered for a moment and wondered if he shouldn't just go ahead and kill the dragon while it was young. And that's heavy. Very, very heavy. I'm not trying to be depressing. But it's a thing out there now. You know, with our guys returning. it It is. You know? Had another... My cousin. You know? Big war hero. He was in the push for Fallujah. The first Marines that went in there. They, they told everybody in the city to get out. And if they didn't, they were considered combatants. So it was a kill-anything-that-moves situation... Did a lot of stuff, apparently, that he said he's not proud of. Uh, real touch and go, suicidal thoughts, things like that. You know. Uh, got a crazy significant other. She'll get mad and take personal jabs at him and call him a murderer. Whatever. Way past the lines of decency. So that, you know, just a suicide attempt of a good friend. Some people feel real tired. They feel real tired and they don't they don't know what to do. Um Yeah, had a law enforcement friend of mine tell me today that he had to go investigate a murder and when he got there the lady was tied to a chair, bunch of stab wounds, throat was slashed. They also had a two year old there. And the knife was stuck in the top of his head up to the handle. And these people never stop thinking about this stuff. It really changes who they are. Changes how they view life. Gives them wounds. It's hard to heal from. It's hard to know what to do to help when you have someone that you care about in a state like that, in a mental state like that. Because really, a lot of times you can't relate. And if you can, a lot of times you don't know what to do either. You know, they carry a lot of self-hatred. They carry, uh, if they don't do that, then they got a ball of anger in their chest that never seems to go away, very combative. So it was a lot. It was a lot this weekend. But I hope if you're one of these people and you're listening, that you never stop telling me stuff and you never stop confiding in me. Because, you know, I'll help you figure it out or I'll listen to you till you figure it out. And the best thing you can do if you've got a, a family member or a good friend that's returning from the war or somebody that's been through a severely abusive relationship or... Someone that grew up in abject poverty and they had to do some things to survive. Best thing you can do is just listen. I mean, just listen. You know, they need, they need, they don't need someone to talk and give them advice and tell them what's best and you should do this. And Marilyn Manson, oddly enough, had the best advice. They asked him uh, if the Columbine shooters, if you had advice for the Columbine shooters, what would you tell them? And he said, I wouldn't tell them anything. I'd listen. The reason that they did this is because they felt alone and isolated and angry, and they felt like no one was listening to them. So I would listen to what they have to say, And, and I agree. You know, I really do. There are ways out of it. I mean, I talked to one of my friends in law enforcement, and he said since he had seen so much damage and done so much damage throughout his career, it was killing him inside, and he sees the guys that keep on in that industry, and they just keep on collecting trauma and collecting damage. And uh, he decided to create, to offset the damage of destruction. Both witnessing it and having to be in shootouts and experiencing daily violence and being in all these fight or flight situations. He raises... I mean this dude went from Sam Elliott to Willie Nelson, you know. <laughs> it was pretty amazing. When I saw him, uh, I saw him today. He looked like uh, he looked like Obi Wan Kenobi, you know. He used to be real aggressive, you know, and uh, and and verbally challenging and stuff like that. I've always liked him, you know, kinda like a big brother to me now. But but he looked like he was at peace and I had a good long talk. With him leaning up against the truck in the sunlight. And he just looked peaceful. Like that ball of anger was gone, man. And he told me... Yeah, just sat and listened to him, too. And and he told me how he banished the darkness. He did it by creating life. So he, he just... He became a farmer. And that isolation is a different kind of isolation. We runs like a super well-thought-out, free-range, organic, everything, hippie farm, where, yeah, the cows go to slaughter, but, like, they have the best grass-fed life and affection, and, you know, that they move them the new... Spots continuously so they get fresh grass, and then the old, exhausted areas are taken by the chickens who scratch it and peck it, and they grow blueberries and put geraniums in between the blueberries so they let off a scent that deters Japanese pine beetles, so that they don't have to use pesticides to kill them, and and uh, make bluebird houses so they come and eat the beetles, and the chickens peck the beetle eggs away. And he put the fruit trees on a slope with the levee so he doesn't have to use resources for irrigation. The rain washes it down the hills into the levee and irrigates the fruit trees. I mean, he just made like a circle of life out of 28 acres and he's nourishing things and flourishing. And, and I thought that was a great way to handle it. I've never heard anybody really... Uh, <clears throat> well, that's not true. It was beautiful. It's beautiful to hear. Like I said, you know, he went from uh, Wyatt Earp to Obi Wan Kenobi, and he just let it all go. Wise guy, entertaining guy. You know, like I said, sort of like a big brother figure to me now. Um, so that that's that's one way to handle it. Put down the sword, you know. I know these guys that are in there right now can't do it because orders are orders and that's what you signed up for. You're draped in the cloth of the nation and you're in it to literally win it until your term is done. So if you hear this, do what you got to do, come back in one piece or come back, you know, and then, and then put that sword down, you know, um, So, yeah, I had one friend from Liberia. His name was Demetrius Johnson. I don't know if y'all know about Liberia, but we did send slaves back to Africa. Uh, I think it was an Abraham Lincoln initiative. And that's who founded Liberia, our ex-slaves from America. And they made their own uh, country on the continent. That country is Liberia. And Liberia has had... Two revolutions, I mean, cannibal warlords, you name it. This guy went through both Liberian revolutions. He said he stepped outside. He was was shopping in a china shop, you know, like fine china, like dining sets that your grandma has locked up in that cupboard that she never touches. And then leaves it to somebody else who does the same thing, that kind of China. He was in a shop like that. And as he was walking out, uh, one of those shoulder rockets, RPGs, rocket launchers like Rambo uses, said that rocket went right over his shoulder into that China shop and blew that whole thing up. And he got, you know, China shrapnel all on him and in him. And he said he was running from automatic, automatic gunfire in the middle of the night. One time, and he had a little flashlight with him because he was in the habit of doing that in case he needed to run and needed to hide. It's pretty common. And he said he slipped on a soccer ball and hit his hip really bad and kind of dead legged himself and he had a hard time getting up. When he got up and he shined the light on, you know what he slipped on and wasn't a soccer ball, it was his cousin's head. All right? family member's head. Just the head. And then he took off. Running until he felt like he could get safety out of sheer adrenaline, you know, he said. uh, Can they had a cannibal general in his village that occupied his village that demanded, basically, not basically, really a maiden sacrifice so that him and his commanders could eat her and gain her power, or so they thought. Now. That's as dark as it gets. And for someone to have experienced that, you will think maybe their psyche could never recover from something like that. But it was the contrary. I guess when this guy came to America and moved to Maryland, and he was in a developed nation, the contrast alone made him feel safer than he's ever felt, I can't really speak to what's going on inside his head, I talked to him about it, and he said, it was like, oh, I'm free, I know I'm free, I know I'm never going back, I know I never have to go back, but that can't just be it, this guy had the biggest genuine smile, you know, the smile is in the eyes, and somebody's being slick and smiling at you, you can, you can tell His snake eyes, the smile is there, but the eyes don't smile. His eyes were smiling when he smiled. Yeah, big teeth, white teeth. And he, his eyes lit up. He was genuinely happy. I don't know how after he accumulated all that damage and trauma that he was able to keep such a positive outlook. He was a real can-do guy. Probably still is. I don't know where Demetrius Johnson is right now, but if you ever hear this... Dude, I never forgot your story. And you're a huge inspiration to me. And I think about you all the time. Uh, You're kind of like a hero of mine. You've been able to do what seems to me impossible. You know, he... He was just a good dude. Extremely positive guy. Laughed all the time. Treated his kids. He was very gentle father. But also pretty stern guy. Good dad. Good guy. He seemed to be able to get past that damage. So I'm not going to say. And that's the worst I've ever seen. You know, the, the worst things I've ever heard. And he's got other stories too. I don't want to just keep harping on that. That that dark headspace but um if he can do it it can be done i know it can be done i'm not a therapist i don't try to fix people i'm not that's above my pay grade right but i can be a good friend i can listen for sure and i do care i do you know i care about my friends you, you And my loved ones and I want them to get the poison out. So, yeah, talk about it. Please, please do. It's not inconveniencing me at all. And if you got loved ones that you want to spill stuff to, do it. You're not inconveniencing them. They want to help you heal. They, They do. It's important to them. So don't feel like you're being a burden and if y'all want to tell me stuff don't feel like it's a burden i want to hear it unless you don't know me well then don't tell me stuff you know we got to be friends okay for sure um yeah i went to a bonfire this weekend with a lot of combat veterans my good good buddy more like a brother now uh adam he's a big war hero and uh and some of his team was there one of my buddies used to be a seal was there you know um so just that tribe you know tribe of rowdy combat veterans it's fun man i don't know how they accepted me into that tribe because i was just sailor joe you know like yeah i boxed in but sailors aren't really warriors not like not like these guys these guys are uh operators you know sailors are workers they're hard hard tireless workers that's what they are that's what we're known for is just our work ethic day and night get it done you know but we're not battlefield people we're more like hornets in the big nest you know every hornet's got a part to play to make the nest combat ready and then we fight as a whole the ship fights, and we are the ship. Kind of like a Voltron situation. We're not really man-to-man shooting and kicking doors down and all that. So, uh, But a lot of them have trained with me and hired me to teach knife, since it's a big thing, uh, part of the Filipino part of the kempo system and so I'm really good at that so I've had them come and take knife from me and kickboxing and I guess just through real hard sparring and real hard physical training they came to respect me and um I'm honored you know cuz I haven't done the things that that y'all have done and I'm by no means a badass I'm a I'm a martial artist I only do things for defensive measures Purely, and I'm an athlete, but I am not what you would call a warrior. Warriors fight wars, right? These guys are warriors. And I heard a lot of stuff there, too. A lot of damage from all these guys, you know? And I wouldn't be in such a hurry to endorse wars that create more broken people. Now, I'm not saying these people are broken and cannot be fixed. But, they've told me they do a lot of suffering on the inside. And I can see why. It's hard for humans to engage in that kind of behavior. You know? You're sending boys, not really men. Old rich men are sending boys down there to do their dirty work And make these hard survival choices and it ends up damaging their psychological profile. So there's that. If you really want to support the troops, quit sending them to endless wars. Some wars need to be fought. Warlords need to be spanked to make them behave sometimes. I get that that's the reality of a superpower like the United States. But I also think that we should use that power sparingly and only in times of need. Extreme need, because it does extreme things to the people that are fighting the wars, not to the people that are sending the warriors. So, they don't suffer the fallout. The people who make the decisions at the top, it's all the poor country boys who couldn't get money for college and needed to leave their one-horse town. It's all the, you know, uh, black kids from the other side of the tracks who just really didn't have any job prospects. Maybe they want to get an education. They can't feel like there's really no other way to do it. That's how you could do it, or you know, they want to do something with their life outside of the poverty that they see. It's poor kids. It's poor... It's poor kids going out there who have probably already seen a lot of violence going out there and and doing that. It's not... Older, rich men are sending younger, poor boys to go do that stuff. And I'm not saying it doesn't need to be done. But how often does it need to be done? I'm not being a hippie. I served as well. Just something worth thinking about. It really is. Yeah. Um, another way... I was an angry wreck when I was a young man. And... I experienced a lot of personal growth in a time of ease, people say, Oh you, you know, when when times are tough, that's when you experience your personal growth. Yes, mostly, but people need different things at different times. And I've experienced personal growth in times of ease. And it was when I felt damaged. When I was I was an angry wreck When I was a young man and I came back with a lot of rage and a little bit of substance abuse problems, pretty common for people that come back uh, from any branch. I really don't know too many Air Force people, but I know Navy, Army, Marines for sure. Uh, That's a big problem, just anger and substance abuse, but learning how to be present is really important to letting go of the past because really there is I mean we've all heard this before in some form or another but there really is not a past that's it lives in your memories but it's not a real thing. And even people in therapy or sports competitors when they when they feel stressed out when they're ready to compete at something or when you want to shift a mindset of any kind, it's good to feel your feet on the ground. Feel the air going in and out of your lungs feel the physical feeling of your weight in a seat on your butt and on your back, to notice the itches you may have and the feeling of air going through your nostrils, to look out at what's happening now. And a lot of times what's happening in that now is nothing. So our thoughts torment us and those thoughts And a lot of it's memories or what could be, you know, uh, creating a scenario before you get there that you're nervous about. Job interview, you got it all in your head, how it's going to go, what the person's going to look like, you know, what they're going to say. You might see yourself succeeding. You might see yourself failing. You're visualizing the building and sitting at a table. And when you get there. Nothing looks like it did in your mind. The person looks nothing like they did in your mind. The questions that they asked weren't any questions that you thought of. The interpersonal dynamic was nothing like your daydream. And in the past works like that too. We our memories are wildly inaccurate. You know, they did a study on courts where they tested people's recall of, you know, the color of the shirt person was wearing during a crime, and what they said, and how tall they were, and what color their hair was, and what they looked like, and there were just so many varying accounts, and it turned out people are just wildly inaccurate, and I think if something happened traumatic to you, or me, or anybody, that we tend to recall the most intense aspects of that thing and involve ourselves maybe more than we should in some cases. So the past is unreliable and the future has not been written. Uh, The present is where we live. So the physical sensations that you're experiencing at this moment and the environment that you're in at this moment and the the now, it's always really just, it's always right now. That's the only time we have, is right now, all the time. And it seemed like being present was Demetrius Johnson from Liberia's big secret. Because he did not dwell on things. And he didn't get preemptively anxious about things to come either. He lived in the present. I haven't talked to him forever. He probably still lives in the present. But I learned that from him and I learned that from the Japanese. It was very big in their culture. Instead of fixating on, oh, I need money so I'm not broke. Where's the money going to come from? How are we going to get this money? They didn't focus, they focused on doing good work and they figured if the work has the value, if your work has value to people, it will be in demand. And if it's high quality, it will be sought after. So they concentrated on doing good work. And there's no need to want to be popular. If you're feeling lonely, the worst thing you can do is be needy and seem desperate. That wasn't a thing they did either. They focused on providing... like, They were very good listeners. And they asked a lot of questions. And I think if you want to truly know someone and form a bond with them, you have to ask them about them. It can't be all about you because really people's favorite thing to talk about is themselves. Now that sounds like, that makes it sound like, that sounds misanthropic and that uh, like a bleak view of humanity. But that's not really what I'm trying to say. Yeah, it's natural. You have all these interests, you have all these thoughts, you have all these preferences, you have all these things you're excited about, things you're working on. You know, people who care about you, want to brag on them, all these things. And friendship is a lot of give and take and and a lot of people want to take. You know, they want to talk about them and that drives people far from you. So, just like Demetrius Johnson and the Japanese, um, I try to be more mindful of... Asking people questions, listening to them, and hanging on every word, and soaking up the vibe that they give me so that I really get to know who I'm talking to. And so they become transparent to me in that way, and they also get the attention that they seek. So it's a win-win situation. And that's a good way not to feel lonely you know, not to feel isolated, Uh, being here now, doing good work, and forming genuine bonds by being an active listener, and you'll be able to have a good screening system that way, too. If somebody has bad vibes, if you're all in and you're really listening and paying attention to their body language and you hear some things that you think are highly unethical, you know who doesn't make the cut, right? But if you're not listening and you're waiting for your turn to talk, you're going to skip over a lot of valuable information about that person. So I would say, yeah, being present, not anticipating not anticipating what you're going to say to show how much you know and listening and also not worrying about things like where's the money going to come from and just concentrating on providing value. You know, I got a lot of that from Zen. So that's a little tied in with the philosophy portion of this, which is going to be ever present during this podcast because, again, the octopus will not let go it just keeps sucking information out of that subject yeah. um, the Zen Master had a great saying very common, but some people haven't heard it, so it's great a student asked the Zen Master how do I become enlightened how do I attain Zen And he said, in a typically on-brand, zen, infuriating fashion, when hungry, eat when tired, sleep. And the student was like, stop playing games. Look, just, why can't you just tell me? Look, doesn't everybody do that? Doesn't everybody eat when they're hungry and sleep when they're tired? This isn't anything... This isn't valuable information. And he was like, no, they don't. When they eat, they think of 10,000 things. And when they sleep, they toss and turn and have innumerable dreams. And dream of all these possible futures and think about all these possible futures and all these embarrassing things they've done at night. No. These people aren't eating when they're eating. And they're not sleeping when they're sleeping. Just do... What you're doing at the moment and nothing else. Because the mind is what really causes us the most pain. So, when hungry, eat. And when tired, sleep. And that's it for episode two of the Seth Says Podcast. And I will see y'all next time.